cream of wheat is so good to eat and we have it every day. We sing a song that will make us strong and it makes us shout hooray. It's good for growing babies and grown-ups too to eat. For all the family's breakfast, we can't beat cream of wheat. This is Doty Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of Doty Land. If you think we're having fun, you are correct. What a delight to have Roy and Linda Madsen from California at the round table here on the Isthmus. They were singing a song from a radio show, a CBS radio show, Let's Pretend, which aired on Saturday mornings from 1934 until 1954. They were singing the Cream of Wheat sponsorship song that was the sole main sponsor for the entire duration of that show on radio. And I'd like to now play for you the song as it aired on those radio stations to those listeners all across the country back in the day when radio was king. Radio has been called the medium of the imagination. Comedian Stan Freeberg demonstrated that fact so memorably on radio as he built the world's largest ice cream sundae in no other place than Lake Michigan, topped it all off with a giant cherry. I recall this being aired on radio, and I know some of my radio listeners are too young to recall it, so let's live it all again. Radio? Why should I advertise on radio? There's nothing to look at, no pictures. Listen, you can do things on radio you couldn't possibly do on TV. That'll be the day. All right, watch this. <clears throat> okay, people, and now when I give you the cue, I want the 700-foot mountain of whipped cream to roll into Lake Michigan, which has been drained and filled with hot chocolate. Then the Royal Canadian Air Force will fly overhead towing a 10-ton maraschino cherry, which will be dropped into the whipped cream to the cheering of 25,000 extras. All right, cue the mountain. Cue the Air Force. Cue the maraschino cherry. Okay, 25,000 cheering extras. Now, you want to try that on television? Well... You see, radio is a very special medium because it stretches the imagination. Doesn't television stretch the imagination? Up to 27 inches, yeah. That is timeless. That is perfect. That exemplifies what is best about radio. Radio is the theater of the mind. And so that is going to be our topic today when we talk with Roy Madsen about his avid radio listenership as a boy. He was not only listening to radio, but he was on radio. It's going to be a great interview. That's coming up in one minute. I would like to ask all of our listeners to join Doty Land on Facebook. We do have a lot of links and pictures and things that go along with the content of this program. And this program you're going to be especially pleased with because we're going to have a lot of content that harkens back to the time when radio was king. 
I also want to just make a very special note to those people who have reached out one way or the other and communicated with me following the first episode of Doty Land. Larry Schlendler wrote, and this one really warmed my heart. I enjoy the podcast, Gregory. You are living out what I have been thinking about for a long time. I also dream about getting a radio station off the ground in Haiti once the political unrest settles down. What we would consider simple AM radio broadcasting is considered big time there. We did a test a couple of years ago with 75 watts where all we had were local children greeting their parents or singing a song over the airwaves. The village loved it and asked for something more permanent with news and music. Thank you for keeping my dream alive through the encouragement listening to Dodyland gives me. It doesn't get better than that. I really appreciate that type of input. You can always reach out on Facebook, and I will respond, and I thank you so much. Today's interview coming up right after this. Today on Dodie Land, we're going to talk about the theater of the mind with Roy Madsen, who, as a boy, attended live radio shows that were being performed for the listening audiences from New York City, farmers in Nebraska, and lumbermen in Washington State. And today, Madsen is also the first but a flutist for the South Valley Symphony. So welcome to the Roundtable in Dodie Land. Thank you, Gregory. It's good to be here. Well, it's wonderful having you. But before we get to radio, I have a burning question. Is the correct pronunciation for what you do with the orchestra flutist or flautist? Both are correct. There's even a third, flautist. And so what do you generally call yourself? Flutist. You could even say flute player. There you go. And, and I, pref- uh, I know that you do a, a remarkable <coughs> job with uh, the symphony. And how many years have you been undertaking that task? Uh, about six and a half years, yeah. And so um, where did you grow up as a boy? I grew up in Los Angeles until I was 11. And then my family moved back to uh, a suburb of New York City. And uh, you told a wonderful story the other evening that I would like you to regale our listeners with about being a very young person and being an actual participant on an old-time radio show. And that's the thrust of where we're talking today about the theater of the mind. And you were able to do that as a boy of about five or? Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to, to remember. No older than that, yes. And it was called the Uncle Woe Bill Show. Woe Bill. And it had to do with the celebration of my birthday. Um, and uh, little kids would get on this weekly uh, program, radio program, and uh, sing a song or uh, maybe uh, recite something. And there, there was some playtime, too. And when I got there, uh, we were all told uh, the format and what to do. And so I went through my song and dance. I don't remember what I did. And then it came to the actual uh, broadcast of the program. And when it came to me, I started to do something entirely different from what I had realized or what I had rehearsed. And they stopped me for a moment. They said, wait a minute, you were going to do something else. That was uh, my confusion. So at the age of four or five, I was on the radio, yeah, with a bunch of other kids. So you were a young radio star. <laughs> what captivated you about radio? Um, and maybe um, 
branching off a little bit about your home life. You had uh, radio in um, your home. You listened to radio shows. Did you have weekly shows and broadcasts that you were determined to hear every week as a boy favorite I sure, I sure did. I sure did. Uh, I lived next to the radio uh, a lot. And it was before television. Uh, we, I, until I was, well, until I was about ten years old, I'd never seen a television. And uh, I had uh, weekly cowboy programs I listened to. Um, I listened uh, to my mother's soap operas. Uh, contestant, uh, what do you call those? Uh, the uh, the competition, shows? the game shows. Yeah. Um, I had my shows in the evening. Uh, some of the things that I listened to uh, would be uh, Roy Rogers, the Cowboys, uh, Gene Autry. I went and uh, uh, attended a Gene Autry show uh, with my folks, and I can uh, I can sing the melodies. I don't remember all the words, but I can still I can still remember those. Um, when when television came into uh, my experience, I did see some of the old Hoplong Cassidy films, uh, Tom Mix, but they were not on the radio for me anyway. Um, one particular program that I remember that uh, really, I think, is indicative of the time was Queen for a Day. And my mother would listen to that radio show, I think it was on five days a week, Ralph Edwards, as I recall, no, it could have been Ralph Edwards. And uh, my wife and I, Linda and I, saw a, uh, or were given as a gift, uh, a DVD of some of those old programs. And we were appalled at what we saw. Because Queen for a Day would bring up some woman from the audience who uh, needed some help. And uh, they would uh, give away uh, a washing machine or a dishwasher, maybe um, something to help the little woman uh, get through the day uh, with all of her uh, household chores. Um, and the, not only the sexist language of the time, but watching on television, uh, watching on the, the, the DVD, uh, what the uh, host of the program was doing was, was shocking, uh, touching the woman in ways that uh, you wouldn't even consider to be appropriate today. So there was a, it was a real, it was a very different time. Uh, another uh, series of programs that I remember are the programs with Art Linkletter. And some of uh, your listeners may remember him. Uh, he did a daily show called uh, House Party, I think it was. Not so interesting for me as a kid, but he also did one later that became a television show called People Are Funny. And uh, that was a, an interesting one for me. Finally, uh, in, in terms of those family shows, uh, Weekly was a program called Truth or Consequences, uh, hosted by Ralph Edwards, that was his name, and uh, they did all kinds of uh, little tricks, and uh, they, I don't know how my father got involved in it, but they asked him to go into the closet and get a bunch of my mother's clothes, 
maybe a half a dozen dresses, sweaters, things like that. And uh, get them, get those clothes to the people at, uh, it was either NBC or CBS, and uh, they would be called up uh, when they attended the program uh, a week hence, which, uh, which happened. And then they would have models come out wearing her clothes. And uh, it was kind of a trick. And she was supposed to not recognize, of course, everything that was happening. And then uh, my recollection is that she did suddenly, oh, my goodness, I have something like that, like that, like that. <laughs> and it was fun for the audience. But I didn't get to go, but I was told all of that. Wonderful memories. Uh, so when you were at home, did you have a favorite place when you listened to your um, westerns and your favorite radio shows did you have a place that you always like to sit was it did you sprawl out on the, the living room floor in front of the radio we have these images I think of um, the old um, paintings and drawings of when radio was king and when people would uh, sit around uh, the radio listening to their programs or news events did you have a particular place that was always your spot when you were listening to your favorite westerns or shows as a small boy, the place that I remember was the kitchen. That's where the radio was. And uh, I listened uh, at least weekly, and uh, some of the programs were twice a week. Uh, Red Rider, uh, The Cisco Kid, uh, The Green Hornet, uh, Sky King. Uh, all those I would be listening. I would be standing probably by the counter, just glued to the radio uh, on, the, on the sink. Uh, is where it was uh, in the kitchen in later years uh, when I was in my teens and no longer in Los Angeles but in uh, in the suburb of New York called Valhalla uh, I ha had uh, my own room by that time and uh, would uh, listen to WNEW I think it was called out of New York City and uh, every night at, I think maybe it was 10 o'clock, uh, this beautiful voice would come on, this male voice, and introduce some dreamy music uh, for the evening. And I would go to sleep listening to that. So those were the, those were the two places I remember the most, yeah. And um, you also had the um, opportunity to go to radio shows and see them actually being put together and uh, recorded and uh, put on live. And Ozzie and Harriet were uh, a couple of the shows that you were able to attend both before Ricky Nelson was a actor that he played himself. And um, explain to the audience what that event was like. I went at least twice to, uh, I don't remember if it was called the Ozzie and Harriet show or not, but uh, the first time was, uh, as you say, when they were actors for uh, Ricky and David, the David being the older brother, and then I got a chance, I, my, as my best recollection, to see the actual brothers uh, acting as themselves on the program, and um, yeah, that was, uh, that's what I, I recall on, on that. And I was uh, looking after we had our conversation at a party recently, and we were talking about this, um, and I came home and looked on the Internet that the Nelson sons, both David and Ricky, uh, did not join the cast until the radio show's fifth year, which was in 1949. So, um, yeah, what, what a wonderful piece of history to have been able to be involved with. Were um, 
going to radio shows, was it similar to like going to the movies today? In other words, did many of your friends also go to live shows or was that something that was just unique to your desire of your parents and the interests of your family? In other words, did I other... don't know the answer to that question. I, I haven't ever spoken with anybody else, any other child. I don't remember uh, speaking with anybody about that. Certainly the interest was there on the part of my, my well, I think both of my parents. Uh, I remember, of course, what I had decided at a very young age I would do. I would become uh, the person who does all of those sound effects. What do you call that? Uh, the sound effects man. Uh, and uh, slamming the doors and uh, doing some things with, uh, with uh, his voice. Uh, somebody who was so adept at that in more recent years, of course, was the person who uh, uh, worked with uh, uh, Keeler. Uh, I'm sorry, what, uh, help me with the name. Uh, Garrison, Garrison Keeler. Garrison Keeler, yeah, who had a marvelous uh, sound effects person and uh, would do things in um, yeah, almost uh, in, an, in an exaggerated manner, uh, but was very, very good at it. Anyway, that's what I decided I was going to do uh, when I grew up. <laughs> so watching those shows, listening to those shows had an impact on you. Absolutely. And I also had the opportunity to uh, attend, uh, I think uh, more than once, uh, a radio program that was on the air nationally for 50 years. And it was called the Layman's Hour. And it was a Baptist men's chorus combined with a five-minute sermonette. Uh, and I got to watch that from behind the glass in the engineer's booth, if you will. I'm not sure what you call that. Um, and then that became my second decision. I was going to become a radio engineer. Uh, and uh, But that didn't happen either. But uh, that was very interesting to watch. Several years ago, Wisconsin Public Radio put on during December, um, a real live radio program, uh, A Wonderful Life, and um, recalling what you're talking about in terms of sound effects, at the beginning of the film, um, there's a young boy that slides off onto the ice, the ice cracks, he goes into the lake, and as the ice is cracking, the sound effect was a full bag of some type of potato chips being crunched <laughs> and, you know, making that sound. But to watch all of the various ways that the sound was made for all of the various parts of the, the play, the radio show, it really does show the, um, the creativity that went into making these productions so they would be, for the listener, a theater of the mind. Very creative and very precise and in in terms of the layman's hour i remember the sermonette frank kepner was his name he gave a little sermon every week and he would get down towards the end of the sermon and the engineers knew exactly how much time they had before they went off the air i think it was a half hour program and so the engineer would hold up his hand you can't see me on the radio right now but i've got five <laughs> fingers on and then he would simply one finger at a time go off and three, two, one, and then he would uh, put his hand across his neck as, as though to say, uh, time's up. And as he was doing that, uh, Frank Kepner would end his prayer and say, and in Jesus' name, amen. And that would just be exactly the time that they needed. Professionalism. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
I'd like to conclude our interview today with a question that um, is sort of like at 30,000 feet. Um, so children today, kids today, have a variety of gadgets in their hands. All of the gadgets make noise, there's color, there's movement. And I'm wondering if um, we've lost something along the way. I love technology. Look, we're having a podcast in my home, so I, I obviously embrace technology. But I'm wondering if when we look at radio, when we look at the creative side of radio and the theater of the mind, do kids today, have, they, have we lost something with our ability with children and their um, creativity by having something in their hand all the time that there's no creative uh, need when you have the color, the motion, the noise? And in relation to how you viewed radio as a child, can you speak to the two sides of the coin, having your experiences and maybe what kids today have in terms of their gadgets? It's difficult for me to know what has been gained in a human way for, for the children. Uh, there are so many things they can do, uh, so many conveniences that can be brought about uh, because of, of modern technology. Um, I, and I don't know what the life, uh, what the inner life of a child is like today. Um, I had a fantasy life, and I lived in that world a great deal, um, and it was very rich. I imagined things. I imagined uh, football games, and I would I could sing uh, the, the 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 fight songs of uh, of a half a dozen or more uh, football teams that were on uh, that were on the radio. Uh, in those days, and some of which I even some of the games I attended, but uh, I would uh, imagine all sorts of things. I know children have imaginations today, but uh, how that's affected by new technology, I don't know. Uh, certainly, I was formed by that, and uh, much more than by television, which came into my life when I was 12 years old. So I had already gone through that. It's a different world. It is true. And I, I'd be interested to know what sociologists uh, say about the, the differences and how, how it has changed, how it has transformed our, our generations. And though we're a generation apart here, um, I also didn't have television in my home uh, until I was in uh, about 12 years of age. And radio and a daily newspaper were the formative parts of my world. And I wouldn't trade any of that for having television and gadgets as children have today. And I, I know that um, you, you feel the same. Yes, um, I do. I, I would just really like to express my thanks for being a part of the round table in Doty Land and taking us back to um, a way that uh, entertainment was once presented and uh, radio was king. So thank you so much for being a part of Doty Land. Thank you for inviting me. Was that not a great interview? I promised a great episode today. I think we delivered. I'm 57 years old, and I have been searching for a number of years to talk with someone who lived the life that Roy Madsen did, both in terms of being there listening to a lot of shows, but more importantly, being on radio and understanding why radio really is the theater of the imagination. So I'm really glad, and I'm so appreciative of his time with me today on the radio program, and I thank you for being along with us as well. And I hope you'll join me again for another episode of Doty Land. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring young America's favorite couple, 
Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Let's look in and see what the Nelsons of 1847 Rogers Road are doing. It's quite late at night. So late, I can't even see what time it is. Oh, thank you. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And all we can hear are the customary sounds of night. The grandfather's clock in the hall, a couple of crickets chirping on the lawn, the distant screams of the pedestrians on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> We tiptoe up the carpeted stairs and peek into the bedroom. Aren't we devils? <laughs> the stillness there is interrupted only by the gentle ticking of the clock. Well, wait a minute. I think I hear Harriet's voice. And I think I really should get that hat because I haven't had a thing to wear with my navy blue outfit except that old hat I bought last year. And, oh, besides, that really doesn't go with my navy blue anyhow. Ozzie replies... Oh, no. He sure falls asleep fast. Well, I may as well go to sleep myself. Oh, goodness, the faucet in the bathroom's dripping. I'll never fall asleep now. Ozzy. Ozzy, dear, wake up. Good night, dear. Ozzie, there's a drip in the bathroom. <laughs> I say there's a drip in the bathroom. Doesn't he know this is a private home? 